Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. When I say it was like Coach Carter, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I turned up and it was full of all the kids that hadn't got into any other college in the area. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. Today I've got a special guest with me. My guest today is Ross Embleton, currently the head coach at Leighton Orient. Morning Ross, how are you? Afternoon, I'm, really, I'm really good, thank you. Um, I'm really pleased to be on. Listen, listen a lot to the work that you do, and um, yeah, really, really uh, enjoy the fact that you've invited me on. So, thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. Um, so, Ross, you know, just to kind of get us started, for those who maybe aren't familiar with you and maybe your journey, uh, would you mind just telling us a little about what you do now, and we'll kind of we'll kind of pick it apart from there. Yeah, obviously, right now I'm uh, currently head coach of Leighton Orient. Um, I've been in the position. Literally just over a year, about a year and a, and a month, pretty much, uh, on a permanent basis. Uh, I was part in that role uh, two or three times, really, on an, on an interim level, whether that be after managers had moved on uh, in previous times, whether uh, when we lost, unfortunately, lost Justin Edinburgh when he passed away. Um, so, yeah, like I say, off the back of some managerial changes, I've, I've taken a role on a short-term basis. Um, before that, very proud of the fact that I've sort of come through a grassroots academy uh, background until I, I stepped into full-time football at Swindon Town but um, I started as a young coach at Leighton Orient as well in the football and the community program um, which was something that I loved doing continue to love doing still working with um, with young kids and that when I get would get the opportunity to do so uh, and then uh, into academy football so uh, I've worked at like I say, at Leighton Orient, I managed the, what was a centre of excellence at the time, rather than rather than what everyone knows it as these days. Um, went on to roles at Tottenham, uh, AFC Bournemouth, Norwich, um, and then, like I say, stepped into the uh, stepped into the, the, the professional game at first team level. Fantastic, and I just want to take take you right back to the top of that. You know, you said there about having to come through almost a grassroots uh, type environment, not necessarily being an ex-pro or anything like that yourself. Just take me back to right at the start of that journey. You know, what was it about coaching that kind of caught your eye? I mean, probably similar to myself and a lot of other people, you've probably gone into coaching because maybe it just wasn't a career on the cards as a player. Yeah, <laughs> to, yeah to a degree. I think we all live that life, don't we? And <laughs> We all hope that we're going to get that opportunity. But in hindsight, really quite quickly, I, I learned that I wasn't, wasn't going to be at the level that that it took. Um, but I think the thing for me was the innocence from, from my perspective, the innocence of going into coaching. There was no um, plan. <laughs> there never really has been, to be honest, in terms of, right, I'm going to reach this level or I'm going to do this qualification or 
this is the end goal of what I want to be and what I want to do. It was always quite innocent. I went into it at about 15, 16, so I was still at school and I got told I wasn't getting a scholarship YTS at, at Leighton Orient. And my dad had always been into coaching. And he said to me, got a few mates who run Saturday morning football clubs. And literally it was Saturday morning football clubs. I would turn up. We never really knew how many kids we would get. I'd tie shoelaces. I'd help them have their drink. I'd pick them up when they were crying, help them when it was freezing cold. And my objective was to be there to make them have a good time. I suppose if you ever look at it from a business model, if you like, it was to bring them back and keep paying their pound fifty or whatever it was for the for the hour and a half. But really, it was about um, me going and, and enjoying working with the kids. And it was about trying to make it as enjoyable as possible. And I think that the thing that I'm probably, one of the things I'm most proud of is that that's what I've tried to do ever since. It's become more of a plan. It's become more structured. It's become more thought about as I've gone through it. But I've always lived my life along the lines of, you know, my work life, certainly. Provide a enjoyable atmosphere for people they're going to enjoy doing it they're going to get better at doing it and they're going to want to come back and um so far it's not done too bad you know so i think um i'll say very innocent in the way that it started out but um but but very very enjoyable from my perspective no that's it that's brilliant to hear and i kind of want to take you back to that you're speaking about a process a journey there and uh, you know, take it back, taking back to your journey. Could you mind just giving us maybe a bit of a timeline as to where we're at on that, just so we can kind of build a picture? Yeah, so I was, let's say, 15, 16, leaving school. My school was really good. So obviously now in terms of academy footballs, a lot of professional clubs are obviously linked to, to schools in terms of their players going to the same school, they release, those sorts of you know, patterns that follow through through being within an academy now. And, and at the time, Arsenal were heavily linked into my school. So we had the likes of David Bentley, Jermaine Pennant, Graham Stack, um, Jay Boffred, people like that all came into my school and did their education, whether that was their GCSEs or, or if there were youth team players coming in. And um, because I got released so late as a, as a young player, my school sort of come to me and said, look, we know you like coaching. We know you're into your coaching. Why don't you do a similar programme to the Arsenal boys, but when they go in to train every day, you can utilise that time to go and develop yourself as a coach. It wasn't much of, I don't mean there was a great plan behind it. It sounds a little bit more um, thought about than it probably was, but I think it was more my, my school, my sixth form trying to help me because I got sort of caught, caught off guard a little bit. So over that two year period, I was really lucky. Again, without knowing it, without thinking about it being a plan. When I look back now, the experiences I got in that two-year period because my time at college was quite limited, a couple of days a week, um, probably not full days even then. So as a community programme, Leighton Orient could always pick the phone up and go, you know what, Ross is available to go to this housing estate and, and put on a coaching session to go to this college, to go into after-school clubs, primary schools, uh, half-term football camps, all of those sort of things I was flexible enough to be able to say, yeah, go on, I'll go and do it. Um, obviously, what goes hand in hand in that was, it was a nice, you know, a nice bit of cash to get me through college as well. But I was without, again, without knowing it, I must stress that because it wasn't a plan. Without knowing it, I was getting so many different experiences. So I was turning up on a housing estate in Barking, not knowing if I was going to get any players coming. And then when they turned up, whether or not it was going to be a safe environment or a tough environment, the types of lads, types of girls, types of kids that 
we were we were going to be getting. And then I was going to a nice leafy primary school in Chigwell, you know, working with different kids, 30 kids on my own, having to um, having to put on a session that they were going to enjoy and, and come back to the week later. And then I think outside that as well, learning about coaching on, you know, on a, on a different scale in terms of, you know, crowd control sometimes, you know, 20, 30 kids all in, in one little space, limited equipment, limited footballs. I look back now and I think to myself, like, I can think of, almost feel like I can think of a session on the spot, you know, because of those experiences. Um, so, so like I say, that sort of, when I say got me through college, I want, I want that to be, I want to make much more of a deal out of it than, than just that loose phrase, but it certainly did. But I came out of that um, a lot more educated as a, as a young coach without actually realising the uh, experiences I was picking up. And then um, at the back end of those years, really, once I sort of started to leave sixth form, I started to really commit to going and watching the Centre of Excellence Academy at the time to pick up on watching good people coach, you know. So one of my, um, you'd call him a mentor now, but he was my coach that released me and someone that I spoke to about coaching, which again, like I say, it's not a plan, there's not a word to support it, but we would class him as a mentor now was Chris Ramsey. So I used to spend a lot of time watching people like him. I would... Um, go and watch my dad coach. Um, I would go to the Lane Orient Centre of Excellence and watch different people working with different age groups. And um, again, no, no financial gain from it, but it was about going and trying to pick up as many different experiences as I possibly could. So um, that was a big, big chunk of my life and, 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 and my early stages of coaching. And, and then um, shortly after, I suppose, like I say, leaving college, I went into managing the primary schools program. So what fitted into that was like half-term soccer schools, um, the tournaments. We used to run a big tournament program uh, for all schools, which was for kids of like year four, year five, year six, boys, girls, mixed tournaments. And I, and I sort of managed and pulled all of that, that together for the local primary schools in Waltham Forest. So um, that was invaluable because I then went from not just being the guy who turned up with a bag of footballs in the playground, but, um, you know, building relationships with school teachers, with uh, headmasters, headmistresses, you know, putting together a plan and a programme to deliver in the primary school. So something that, I'll be honest, I had no idea of doing, you know. I'm not sure you'd put someone in charge of my level of experience, but the enthusiasm and the love that I had for coaching obviously shone through in terms of showing those people our keynote was to make sure that I put on the best programme that I could for, for Lane Orient, but for their, for their school and their kids. Um, and, I, and I stuck at that for a good five, six years. And I, amongst other things of, of working in the academy as an age group coach, it was all based around Lane Orient. Um, it was all based around real variations of, of programmes to give me different experiences. Um, and be around different people, different characters, and different levels of coaching. Uh, and then I was very, very fortunate, I suppose, a bit of a sliding doors moment, really, was that um, it was at the sort of time where Premier League, major Premier League funding was coming into the game and helping to manage youth development at, at the smaller clubs. Um, and the club, the Orient's funding was was expiring at the end of that season and they didn't really know whether or not it was going to carry on and what the input was going to be 
And the guy that was in charge of the centre of excellence at the time moved on to a new role and it was a bit of a vacant position. So for six months amongst my other job, I had a bit of a job share of my job and the, and the running of the centre of excellence for a six month period. So um, just to get it over the line and get it to the end of that season. And yeah. by the time that, that came around, the, um, the, the funding got approved and the job become permanent. And unfortunately for, for me, I was only 25, but um, I went into the role and became um, head of the Centre of Excellence, head of youth at, at Leighton Orient. So uh, it was a massive eye opener, but um, something that I look back on in terms of you know learning some management styles and techniques that, uh, albeit I was in the deep end, was, was something that's proved to be incredibly invaluable for me. Definitely, and you touched on a few things. In I want to take you right back to the start. You obviously, you know, showing up on the you know local council estates and working in local estates, and not knowing what it was going to be, not knowing whether you were going to get again numbers wise, you probably didn't know what was happening. Ability wise, you probably didn't know what was happening. Whether it was going to even be safe for you to even get out the state, the estate at that point. Yeah, yeah. Probably another thing to consider. But um, you know, you talk about that, and then you move into the idea of moving into a role where you didn't maybe feel that like you were overly prepared or ready for it where you're now having to build different types of relationships with schools, head teachers and the rest of them. Um, and just kind of finish on what you just said there as well around the idea of, you know, it, it really taught you a lot about different management styles and, and, and I guess those, the ways in which you can go about developing and maintaining some of those relationships. So I guess, you know, two, two questions I kind of got from you from there was one, what would you say is the, biggest piece that you kind of took away from obviously having to go through that experience and in, in, before obviously eventually ending up with the center of excellence role and two how would you say that's um i guess change your perception on what coaching should look like because obviously you know going into it as a young coach um relying on maybe you know the experiences of of the coaches that you've worked worked or played under potentially uh, or worked alongside at that stage possibly your father and obviously you touched on chris ramsey there as well outside of those experiences obviously getting thrown in the deep end I think you know for, for any coach or anyone listening to this I, I would say there's always that that battle is do, do you do you go for a job when you're ready for it or do you go for the opportunity because it's there yeah no and I think my life a little bit in football has been a little bit like that of do you go for a job because it's there or do you go for a job that, because you're quite ready for it and I think I certainly when I went into that head of youth development role I wasn't ready for it um I wasn't prepared for um having to be I've always backed myself in terms of my enthusiasm my uh, ability to work with different people my energy to put on good coaching sessions but I never really understood how important it was to have to try to manage people a lot older than me you know like we referred to there about um talking and, and, and doing business with a head teacher that didn't quite prepare me for going to work every day and having to um, manage certain people that were very experienced in the game had been at the club for a very very long time had built incredible relationships with the hierarchy at the club and then I went in with my own ideas and, and initiatives and, and, and I had to learn how to do it. One of the people I had to manage was my dad. You know, he was a part-time member of staff here and I come in all of a sudden I was in charge and, and responsible for him and, and, and what I wanted. So I think that I think the biggest thing that I would have that would take from from that experience would be that uh is is a is flexibility. Is flexibility to in like 
embrace what's out there. You know, you, you, the, the, the big evident thing that always jumps out at me is I would go onto those housing estates and sometimes petrified to go and put on a, a coaching session with some of the characters that were, that were coming on there. But then I soon realized that I could build relationships with them in a completely different way than I would the five-year-old kid that came to my Saturday morning soccer camp, went to the primary school that I coached in and then came and played football with me at, at half term. Um, I, it took a different skill set in, in order to embrace and, and create that relationship. But I soon found out that I could do it. Do you know what I mean? So then when I went into that environment of managing those senior people and those people with a real experience um, that were looking at me a as a little bit of a snotty nose little kid coming into that environment, I knew I had to puff my chest out and back myself. There was a lot of people, direct football people, that certainly would question me because of my lack of playing background, my lack of experience, which, again, I would I, I, I'd support that. You know, I was 25 years old who said that I was ready to do it. I, I found myself in a very fortunate position to take up the role and, and throw myself into it and dedicate myself to, to doing it properly. So I think the big part of that was... Was, was managing the, the or having the flexibility to deal with different people. You know, all of a sudden I was sitting down with parents and talking to them about their kids' future. And I was half the age of some of those parents, do you know what I mean? So it was, um, it was a very difficult experience for everybody to, to embrace, but, but I embraced it and I was flexible enough to try to build it. Um, you said something there in the second half of that question. Sorry. I, I yeah, it was just more around the idea of, you know, building those relationships and that experience that you've got from doing that, you're not necessarily going to be ready for the role itself. Um, but, you know, I kind of, I kind of just want to off the back of what you've just said there, though, you know, you, you use that word experience there. And a lot of the experience that you've talked about are quite, you know, informal things. And I think you can't go, uh, can't go miss how, how important those informal experiences are. And it, just to highlight that, you know, some of the things that you do go through your journey are something that a qualification can never teach you. 100%. Um, and, and they're not related to the industry that we all think we're related to. That's, I say that all the time now when I'm here. So a good chunk of my staff are people that have never worked and never played at a football career. And then a good chunk of my staff are people that have. And I think that balance really helped me. And they, they, so those ones who have had a career will tell me things sometimes about a player might feel this or as a player, I liked this, I didn't like that. And I won't always go with that opinion, but it gives me a player's opinion that I can't give or I can't have. But I think the thing that I always say to them is I, f I feel like I've come into this game from the outside, from, from what people would class as the real world. And I think when you talk about some of those experiences, those um, qualities that you feel like you, you, know, you have to take into a management role, whether you are the head of an accountancy firm or you're a football manager, I think those skills transfer. And I think that's something that in this game, we can feel a little bit like we, this always all the answers. Everything's about football. It's do what football's always done and not necessarily about embracing. I think we're becoming better at it, but I think it, sometimes it's about those human qualities that transfer across any industry or any business, not just about what suits football. Uh, definitely. You, know, you, you talked there earlier and you mentioned that it was this probably around age 25, 26 or what, we're going back maybe about 15 years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just you know, over there. Yeah. You know, already at that stage, you, you put, well, the argument would be you've already considerable about the amount of experience at 25, 26, having kind of started when you was in college. So what, you've got maybe about 10 years under your belt almost already? Yeah, yeah. 
which which again lucky like yeah. really because if I'd gone and you know got a scholarship or YTS or whatever it was classed as at the time, I'd have come out of that two years later with different you know with a different on a different time scale and so it got really got me ahead of the game again like so without it being I don't want it to sound like anyone thinks I had a plan it wasn't it yeah. just sort of um, it developed and snowballed toward in a certain direction I was very fortunate by that age to have had that experience under my belt. 100%. Just on there, you're talking about not, not really having a plan. There's something you've referred to a few times throughout the conversation already. And I was curious, whilst there might be wasn't a plan, was there a necessary direction or an end goal in sight for you or a target of some sort? Not, not really. I always remember when I, was, when I went into the Centre of Excellence role, I won't throw him under the bus by using his name, but I remember um, a guy involved in the club at the time said to me, oh, like, yeah, coming into work with a youth, like, obviously that's probably where you're going to get to. As a, as a young coach that hasn't played. And I remember thinking, oh, like, I wouldn't mind proving you wrong. He wasn't mugging me off or patting me on the head. I think it was probably just his general opinion and probably at the time, a lot of people's opinions. And, and probably now, there's probably people out there still that are probably still saying the same thing, that, that, you, know, that, that, that you only have a, a certain level that you want to reach. I think I've always had a belief in my own ability and a desire to want to prove those people wrong that have set that that bar for me. But I think what I really, um, what I really had in my mind always is always just to try and be the best that I possibly can. And it can sound a little bit cringy, a little bit cliche, but I think that is, that's where I've always wanted to get to. I, I, I've always gone into, not that I've done every job that, I, that I've ever had fantastically well, I haven't. But when I've been in them, I've always wanted to try to be the best that I can be. And I think that, if you have that, if you have that aim, that target, that desire to be the best that you possibly can, at the end of it, you, you, you're not going to fall too, excuse me, too far short. Or you know, you, your your strengths and weaknesses in relation to that role might 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 cause a barrier, might 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 set a limit for you. Um, but it is about trying to embrace everything as much as you possibly can to try and come better. And like I say, I've had roles, I'm sure we'll come on to them, but I've had roles certainly in my football career where I look back and I think, well, that, well I wasn't great. I wasn't suited to that job. Um, circumstances found me in that role and I, and I didn't achieve what I or the people that I were working for probably wanted. Um, but it was, it was always really just about getting better and better and better. And then then you find within the particular roles you're in, you, you know, opportunities arise and, um, you know, people always use the phrase of it's who you know and et cetera. I think sometimes you create that for yourself. People, people know they can trust you. If people know that they're getting someone who's, who's hardworking and, and willing to want to do the job to the very best of their ability, I think you sort of create your own luck in terms of, you know, them wanting to, to, to employ you and have you around them. So, um, yeah, like I say, certainly never sort of set out as I am going to be an under-18s coach or definitely not setting out to be a head coach. That's, that, that only arose um, in, in recent times. Um, so the answer to your question is, is, is it wasn't a sort of set destination I wanted to get to. And you touched on there, you know, the idea of it, um, the first team position obviously arising a few, quite recently, well, within the last year or so. But you've had a few stints as, it, as the interim coach uh, within the first team environment there. Now, 15 years on, you're, you're age 39, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. How's that journey gone from, right, I've just stepped in, I'm Ross Edmonton, I'm now leading the development centre or the, the centre of excellence to 
now first team coach. Talk us through that. It's, it, it's interesting because um, I left I left Orient because I felt I'd got to a stage. I'd been centre of excellence manager for three years, and it was only me. In the old days, it was only me and the youth team manager, youth team physio that were full time at the club. As well, I just want to get a bit of a bit more of a picture. So, in terms of qualifications and and what, where are we? What are we what are we looking at at this stage? So it's interesting. So part of the um, criteria to be a centre of excellence manager at the time was to be have or to be working towards your A licence. Right. So I went to Lillishaw and did my A licence going back 14 years ago now. So I was 25, 26. And if I'm honest, I was nowhere near ready. I went there on year one and I was so out of my depth. Not, not because I didn't know what people were talking about or anything like that, but actual delivery of the A licence at that time, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Um, but back then it's a structured, I'm, I'm, I'm actually redoing my A licence now. And I, I um, be, be partly because of the experience I had doing the A licence before, but it, it, back then it was a, you go away for two weeks to Lillishaw, have a year, then go back again for another two weeks and final assessment, bell, pass. Did you finish it at that time? Possibly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went through. I, yeah. I failed it originally, and then, and then, and then had to go reassessment, etc. But what was very evident to me then was how far away in terms of delivering at that level I was, hmm. um, because, like I say, for me, I'd never really had the experience of doing it, um, and did the qualification because of the job I had an opportunity to go yeah. and do. Not necessarily because I really wanted to or felt ready to do it, you know? Yeah, and I think it's a very interesting point because there's a lot of, since the EPPP's come in, for instance, there's a lot of maybe people similar to that in that they're not necessarily going down the A-license route because it's something that they specifically want for themselves, but more because the job that they're in mandates it as part of the requirements of the EPPP. So I guess it's interesting to hear you said, and I think you know, I'm really interested to know maybe your thought process behind actually going and doing the qualification again because a lot of yeah. people probably would have just said, do you know what? I've been doing this for a number of years. Forget that. I'm going to try and move on to the pro license. So, you know, I, I commend that, and I, I want to tap into that a little bit. You know, what, yeah. What um, I think the first thing was that, um, and I mean this in the nicest possible way when I say it. That when I did the the A license originally, Dick Bate was on there, and I, and I even on your, in, even on your podcast, I've heard the amount of different people that praised Dick. Dick was fantastic. His delivery was incredible. But the way that the courses were structured then were different, you know. And I always remember that um, the flexibility in comparison to now is mind-blowing. Um, the individual opinions now of a coach and a person are embraced. And I think that's something that I wanted to experience. So I, I, I've done my youth awards in, in the last five, six, seven years, whatever it's been. And I've really enjoyed them. And I've, I've pretty much enjoyed all of the courses that I've done, but I didn't really enjoy the A-license that I've done originally. One, because I was at my depth. But secondly, the, 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 it was very rigid, the course back then. So I always remember on day one, there was a Portuguese guy who could speak very limited English. Um, we did the first 11 v 11 session. The goalie gave him the ball. He passed it, passed it to me. And I passed it back to him. And whoever was taking the session whistled, stopped and said, First pass has got to be the most direct one, put it in behind the opposition. And the Portuguese guy looked at me as if to go, what? Like, no, no, like we pass it. And, and like I say, it's not, not me slagging it off. It's each to their own. And it was the structure of the course. Um, 
but I look back on that as like because of because I was trying to fight for my life on the calls, and then um, you, the 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 limited input. I wanted to experience that again, so I felt like getting to where I am now that the pro license is obviously something that I want to do. I want to do the man, uh, the management diploma that's run by the LMA. I, yeah. Definitely want to embrace all of those courses, but I'm really excited by the fact that the A license had changed so much. Yeah. Obviously, we're doing it all on Zoom at the moment, so yeah. we're not even going on the course. We've not been to St George's Park. We don't even get together as a group. I think before lockdown, I've had two um, visits from 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 my coach educator and that sort of thing in terms of the support days and, and that sort of thing. And and the the shared the shared learning the different opinions uh everybody's input is absolutely fantastic so i sit on a zoom call every once a week with eight or nine other people and the conversations are fantastic they're brilliant for me selfishly because it's not me sitting around with my staff who are talking about the way that we played or should play at the weekend it's all other people's inputs and i think what I'm seeing from the original course that I did to the one that I'm doing now is, is so much more inclusive of what people think and not just exactly what you should be told in terms of the way that you go so, to deliver. Does that make sense? That, yeah, that makes complete sense. And I, you know, it's a conversation I have with a lot of coaches all the time around the, the way the pathway is changing. You know, I consider myself to some extent quite fortunate in the ways that I came through my level one, my, my level two, my, my B license old style and then did the new a license did the, you know i've done the advanced youth award and the rest of the stuff and had kind of the, the uh, you know what i consider maybe the best of both worlds in that respect because yeah. i've i've got some of that grounding that technical stuff that they really really wanted to focus on in the i guess the the older style of the coach education pathway um whereas now it is a lot more right what do you think what do you think what do you think or what do you think is important but based on where you're working which i think is really important now my my, my only and i guess you're probably in the perfect position to answer it really is do you not find that with the, and I guess at A license, probably slightly differently because you'd expect the coaches to have a certain level of technical understanding, um, albeit I don't think that's always the case. But do you not find that then there's a bit too, it's swung a bit too much in the other, in the other direction in that it's allowing too many opportunities for coaches to turn around and maybe neglect the technical aspect of the game and, say well i'm not going to work on the technology because of xyz but and that's great but they actually if you look back at the heart of everything it's still technical it's just technical at its base in terms of what the game demands and needs from the coaches if that makes sense yeah it does make a lot of sense and i I think on my calls mine's a mine's a pfa call so i'm on it with a lot of ex-footballers and it's really good because they've obviously either still playing or coming out of the game with a real good knowledge and understanding of how to play it, but not coaching. There's one or two people in there that are, but they're not directly delivering and coaching week in, week out. So I think that's where the beauty has been for, I can only speak for the group that I'm in, that there's quite a good balance of what makes it up. And I think, like I say, because we're not gone to St George's Park and the course has been delivered you know, to us, hmm. it's become a lot more interactive. And I think underneath... What you're saying, I think he's right. I think it's very, very easy for people to. We've had we've had a couple of younger boys through our academy train with us, not necessarily recently, but but throughout the season. And when they come in, it's like, oh, yeah, look, when when we trained with the first team or when we watch the first team train, it's all about the game. 
And of course, it's about the game because we've got to try and win on Saturday. And I think you're you're spot on. It's about them being able to strip it back. And I think all I can again, all I can talk about is the tutors and the assessors that are on my courts. They strip it back extremely well. So we talk about four three three against three five two, or you know, if you played with inverted wingers, how would you defend against all of those sorts of things? But at the same time, it is about those 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 tutors do strip it back to talk to you about. You know, what is important about developing the individual? How do you, you know, focus on the fact that your team are going to hit diags? Well, you know, have you got the players with the technical attributes to be able to hit those types of passes, to dribble, to, you know, whatever the particular um, attribute is that you're, you're discussing at the time? So I think it's very much uh, dependent on the type of people that are, are stripping it back and bringing it back to the basics of, of coaching and the basics of the game, which I think you have to be very, very careful that, you know, we can go and do all the qualifications as quickly as we possibly can, but there is a layer that is about layering it up and, and, and understanding what develops players to the level to be able to go and deliver and perform in coaching sessions that are based around the team and, and, and a, a licence level, if, if I'm explaining that well enough. Yeah, definitely. I think you know some, some great points there. I guess, you know, from you, from you, you know, from from your own opinion, then you know, if you had to sum it up, I would say the major pros and cons of maybe the old style and the new style. Then, I think the old style certainly gave you incredible amount of structure to the way that you coached. I think it kept the reins on the session in terms of, you know, you built it up. There was a process to building it up right from the very beginning of, you know, if we are playing out from the back, this is how you influence the goalkeeper, the back four. The midfielders, you know, almost like a, a process to the way that you delivered throughout the team. And I think that's excellent in terms of being able to get control and order on the way that you work. I think what the flexibility gives you now is the manner in which you do that. If it suits my team to say, right, yeah, when we're playing out from the back, I want to work with the front players first because we're going to pass it to the centre half and smash it down the line for argument's sake. They're the players I want to influence first. You know, it, it allows you to go to the key areas on the pitch. If you want to set up to press and you, you don't want to acknowledge what the fullbacks are doing until the very, very end of the session, don't influence the fullbacks. But as long as you do, do you know what I mean? So the freedom to be able to go and deliver it is, is a lot more relaxed and dependent on the individual. I think what you do have to be able to demonstrate is that you can do it, is that you can get there, that you can show that you can influence everyone and you can deliver a session that's worthy of influencing players, units and, 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 and a team in an 11v11 environment. I think that's got some great points and I think that it, it is about demonstrating your, your, I guess, more your understanding of how it links into the game rather than, right, I'm actually specifically going to work on this today but actually been able to say, right, although I'm not focusing on this, this is how it links in. Yeah, and do you know what, yes, as well, what I found really interesting was we were doing a topic on, like, the mid-block the other week. And, you know, I'm not one for using the phrases and, and words that are on the courses. It's not the way I work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But each to their own. And I, and I understand why they're in place. Don't get me wrong. Again, it's not me palming them off in any way, shape or form. Um but we were doing a session the other day on the mid-block and I said, in my mid-block, what if I say in my 4-3-3 that I don't want my front three players involved in the mid-block? 
Mm. And they were like, well, why? And I said, well, because when we win it back, I want to get it to my front three and I think they can create chances to score. Yeah. And they were like, well, if you think that works for you, then set it up and go and do it. And I thought that was really refreshing. And that showed me how, when I say how far it come, I, I'm, I'm not taking away from the old A-license, but how much more I felt it suited me and the way that I like to coach because that might be different to you saying, do you know what? Get everyone back behind the ball. We're going to defend with 11 men behind and try and counter-attack another way. And I thought that was a really uh, key moment and element for me from from my tutors to be able to say what, you know, justify it to us. And as long as you can justify it and show that why, how you would do it, then there's, then there's rationale behind it. You know, I think it's a great point, and it's you know something that I've been working with over the last few years. So you know, the last couple of years, I've been, I've been supporting the county FAs and delivering some of the courses for them. And what the one key takeaway message I kind of I try and leave everyone with: if you know, if you if you take anything away from these courses, you you learn anything. It's really get a grips with the principles of the of play. Yeah. If you get grips with the principles, how they present themselves, that's up to you. As long as you understand those principles, you should you should be in a good space to justify any of the stuff that you're doing. And if you can't justify yourself to yourself in relation to those principles, then you're probably not on the right track. Exactly. Um, and that's what makes it a game that we all love, isn't it? If we all 100%. wanted to do it the same way, it'd be boring, wouldn't it? So 100%. I think the fact that people go out and they like 4-4-2 rather than 3-5-2, it, that, that, that in itself brings you a different angle to the way that you approach things. So to be able to enable people to deliver that way as well, I think it's really refreshing. 100%. I kind of just want to move things on a little bit, you know, to come back to your journey now. You've got, you, you know, we kind of went off in talking about your qualifications there, but take you back to that centre of excellence. You know, you've moved away from the centre of excellence after three years. Where did you go from there? So I, I left I left Orient because I felt that I'd got to a point where it was just me in the, in, in youth development, full-time, um, centre of excellence. I'd been on the youth, early youth rewards, I'd try to introduce a few things, the way we played, the work we did with a, what we all know now as a foundation phase in terms of the development of the players that were coming through. And the great thing I had at Leighton Orient was that all the kids in the system, by the time I left from the age of eight to the age of 18, I'd worked with them all um, because of you know where we'd recruited our players from in the, in the local community, development centres, and then, and then working as a, as a young coach coming up I'd worked with all of those players but I felt like I'd started to get to a point where I wasn't really coming up with anything new and I, and I wasn't tested pushed because it was all on my terms and if I wanted to say right we're going to play for it about the whole way through the academy now there wasn't really anyone here to to stop me or to question me as to what so I started to get itchy feet a little bit and felt that it was probably the time for the for the club and for me to to move on, um, it needed some new energy here in terms of the, you know, the venue we were using and that sort of thing. So I was really fortunate that at the time a job came up at Tottenham. Uh, it was a dual role and it, it pretty much covered my whole career in terms of what I'd already done. And it was to work with uh, the primary age groups at the academy. So it was before it, just as EPPP was starting to be discussed, but I worked with the primary age groups and coaches at the academy and then manage the development centre programme. And what we put together was like a development programme for the coaches, as well as the players that were working in those centres. So we had, you know, obviously, like a lot of people would know, centres scattered all over London, hmm. um, where we tried to recruit the best young players in those centres um, and in those areas. 
And we obviously had coaches that worked within those centres. And my role really was to identify, to educate, to work with the coaches that were coming through the foundation into the development centres with, I suppose, the long-term goal to end up at the academy if that was the route that they were taking. Um, similar to it would uh, it would work for, for a young boy at seven or eight years old going into that process as a player. So uh, quite sounds quite simple, um, but the concept was very, very good in terms of developing our own, I suppose. Mm, so just on that then, you know, talking about the range of roles that you did, obviously, uh, whilst at Leighton Orient initially, and obviously now with Spurs, what were some of the key things that you kind of developed and understood about the way it, or what it took to maybe manage different individuals and just leadership in general? Yeah, I think I think uh, it become a bit different role for me in terms of I said there I stepped into the Orient one with all coaches that were very senior, a lot older than me. This one sort of ended up being a bit of a reverse. I was only in my early thirties, but I had the opportunity touching thirty, but I had the opportunity to go in and work with young aspiring coaches that were you know that were new that were just some of them just setting out on their new experiences. The other side of it was some people, we had a very set philosophy at Tottenham, set by Chris Ramsey, John McDermott, Alex Inglethorpe, where we worked on very specific individual-based techniques. So there was a lot of very set sessions, delivery that went throughout the club. So that was new because I come in and they knew it better than I did. So it was really interesting to have to embrace that. And then the real thing that I found of real benefit was the different... Uh, types of characters that it took to put into certain centres in certain areas. So we had, for argument's sake, we had one development centre in Chiswick. Uh, lovely area, nice place, lovely kids. You could tell there was a development centre on because of all the lovely cars that were in the in the car park on the nights that we that we were training there. But then we had one in in Tottenham. We had one in Walthamstow. We had one south south of the river. One in uh, to the Mitchum, like so, it was then about trying to identify: Have we got Tottenham coaches that are capable of going in and doing those sessions? And if not, how do we recruit coaches capable of delivering the philosophy, the techniques that we want, in order to come in and and, and work on them? And it was very individual based, as I said. It was very much about the individual players' techniques. So we didn't want someone coming in who was going to do straight line passing drills or you know, get everyone playing to touch. In actual fact, it was a total opposite. It was about it creating playground uh, environment. It was about giving the kids the freedom to express themselves. It was about encouraging players to stay on the ball, get on the ball, be brave on the ball. Um, so then it took a certain quality and a cer certain open-mindedness of the coach coming in to, to be able to identify if they were going to be the right ones to work for, for Tottenham in that environment. Mm. So kind of just on that then, you know, interesting to kind of maybe pick on is what would have maybe the fundamentals for your own coaching philosophy and how that aligned itself with the clubs that you had worked with? Did you ever find yourself, obviously I know you touched on the first part with Leighton Orient, you got to a point where you kind of just called the shots a little bit. Um, and I, and I, I, to, I can totally re relate to that because it's, you know, in a previous role of mine where I felt like I'm at the point where now I'm, I'm making all the decisions, there's not really much for me to learn because the people around me are kind of, they're not really challenging me. Yeah. Um, they just go with whatever I say and if, if, if they're not doing that then you know it, 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 the old saying goes it's never it's never the smart thing to be the smartest one in the room yeah yeah you know what I mean? and I, I'd, I'd also become Ross Embleton at Leighton Orient like I was just Ross at Leighton Orient do you know what I mean all the parents knew me the kids knew me so like I said there I strongly believe the best thing for Leighton Orient to a degree was me coming away because 
the whole club was just what I, you know, was, was when I say was me, I make myself sound more important than I was. But what I mean is I was that person that everyone associated with youth development and kids coming through there. So I think it was important that the kids and the parents and the club had a new lease of life in terms of a, a new refreshed approach on that front. I think what was really important for me and I, probably what got... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I mean, the job to a degree was that when I went to meet John McDermott, um, John was at the time working with a head of the foundation, which was a guy called Grant Cornwell. And Grant had been the person really at the community program at Leighton Orient that started my my coaching journey as you referred to it as but gave me my first opportunity coaching in primary school so he knew what I was about as a person but when I sat down with John and it was just John and I first time I'd ever met him I spoke to him about passionately about summer birthdays late developers and developing individual players and I think that was I learned incredible amounts about how Tottenham did that the way they delivered the size of the pitches, the environment that they created for those young players, the techniques that Chris Ramsey had drilled into the coaches to continuously home in on. I learned so much about when I went into the door, but I think probably what gave me the foot up and and the opportunity to to get the role over anybody else that went for it was the fact that I was very interested in the fact of not just signing the here and now as an under nine, about trying to find, you know, the little summer baby, the, 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 the hidden gem. You know, we'd, we recruited so many of our players at Leighton Orient from primary schools that never, ever played for in organised Sunday club football because didn't have access to it or didn't have the financial support to do it. We got him from their primary schools. And I think those uh, initiatives that I'd tried to put in on a smaller scale at Leighton Orient were things that, uh, well, I know that once I got in the door... That the, the, the club as a whole was something that, that, that Tottenham were really trying to drive. And so, you know, you, you've gone to Tottenham there. What we'll talk us through what, how long was you there for and where did that go next? So I was, I was there for three years and it was incredible. So I got everything that I wanted out of, out of going to Tottenham. I, I enjoyed the job. I loved the job. It's worked for some really good people, learned an incredible amount about youth development. But what I really craved was the opportunity. And I went into work with people like Perry Suckling. You know, as good as there is in terms of developing players, but developing and working with goalkeepers. Um, Alex Inglethorpe. I knew Alex because he played at Leighton Orient, um, coached at Leighton Orient for a little while, but an incredible um, way of working with people, with young players, certainly young players in, in the sort of 16 to 18, 19 bracket. Yeah. Uh, Chris Ramsey, an absolute genius in what he does, um, can create a session with group of 10 kids that will benefit every one of those kids and their position and the techniques that they need to work. So an incredible coach and, and, and loved the way that Chris worked. And, and, and I had very, you know, I had a very good relationship with Chris before I went in. Um, but, but, but like I say, and John McDermott, obviously uh, as the head of that environment, some, some fantastic people to go and work with, but I, I worked there for three years and um, I got to a point where, I was learning and learning and learning, but never coaching. I, I, it sounds incredible, but 
I, I wasn't delivering myself. Um, and I'm, and I really missed Why it. Was that? I think because I was so hell bent on the, deli- on the development of the coaches that I was working with. Um, it was so, uh, set in terms of giving people the airtime to, to deliver and, and develop themselves. In the servant leader. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I looked around and I thought, I ain't, I ain't done a session. It was crazy. And I just become the guy that filled in when so-and-so couldn't turn up. And, and, and simply sat down, I had an appraisal, I sat down with John McDermott and he was complimentary of the job that we'd been doing. But I said to him, I really need to coach. I, ju- I just want, and, and he was honest and said to me, I, I don't see you as a coach. And I said, well, you're not going to because I don't coach. So yeah. it's like a vicious circle. So the appraisal was good, and, but I came out the other side of it thinking, I'm not sure if longer term, this is where I'm going to want to be because, because I missed the thing I love doing the most. Just at that stage then, Come back to the question I asked earlier. Do you start to have a clearer idea of which direction you're going then? I knew I wanted to deliver. I knew I wanted to deliver. And that was probably the most that I, that I thought. And, I, and I, if John, I think at the time, if John had said to me, right, under 14's day release on a Thursday, take the lead, lead the session, take the day, set the day, work or work with Brian Klug working with us, who's, who's at Ipswich now, but work with Brian all day on a Thursday. That'd have been enough for me. I'd have been fine because I really enjoyed the job. Um, great club, great people. Could you not have asked for that opportunity? Yeah, no, and that was what I think what I was requesting really. Uh, but uh, again, I say in John's defence, he saw me doing the job I was doing. Was obviously pleased with it and didn't want to evolve that because he probably felt he had the expertise there already and would have looked at me and why would he see me as a sure. as a potential coach if I wasn't coaching? So um, I knew that I wanted to to, to deliver. Um, so I didn't really do a great deal. We always had people coming coming into Tottenham to watch training, to see what we did, to see how we worked. And I was fortunate at the time that we had three or four different people come in. Some people from America spoke to me about some work out there and it wasn't really the right thing for me with a young family. And then I was really lucky that uh, I got a call from Sean Brooks who had gone from being head of the academy at Bournemouth to assistant manager and and they pretty much offered me the opportunity to go to go down to Bournemouth and, and take the under 18s. That, that would have been obviously a great opportunity for you at the time to kind of move from what you were doing to now moving into a coaching role, but more specifically working with the PDB role. What was that yeah. like? And you know, I guess within that within that that stage there, have you started to maybe start? To, firstly, how long did that role last? What were the biggest things you took away from it? And did, did that start to maybe formulate your your passion and drive to maybe want to move into first-team football then? Um, the answer to your question would be that it didn't float my thing to wanting to become in, going to first-team football. Um, I was very lucky that when I went down there, the, the people that were in charge of the first team embraced me, including me in a lot of the conversations they were they were having. We were based at split sites, so it was unfortunate that I wasn't be able to work on the pitch next to them to see exactly how they were working. But they really uh, included me in a in a hell of a lot. What it did for me and my coaching was for the first time properly. Um, we were, like I say, we were training on another site away from from the first team, and my goalkeepers used to train with the first team every day. So I had no goalkeepers ever for training and it developed my coaching to be able to get outcomes, real life scenarios, um, sessions to suit 
a team and a group of players, which is what I was starting to have to develop without having a goalkeeper in it, mm. which was which sounds crazy, but incredible. And then when I did get them, sometimes I'd stand there and think, oh my God, what am I going to do today? I've got goalkeepers. It, it was crazy how it, how it influenced. But bigger than that, was the first. it was the first time that I really, really honed in on individual player development. So um, we're talking over 10, 11 years ago now that I was down there and I still speak to a good third of my squad um, that, that I was that I was working with down there. It was it was new for me. I went to working in Bournemouth, having spent my whole coaching life working with inner city kids, tenacious, you know, you took the energy, enthusiasm, bit between your teeth, rugged uh, attitudes and types of kids for granted and I got down there like lovely kids but you know types of kids that had all been going to soccer schools from the age of five all had lovely techniques but that had that little bit of oomph missing from them because of where they'd grown up not, yeah. not, not, not their fault but then all of a sudden I had to try to find that create that understand that they didn't have that they were going to learn it and then but that was the first time, really, that I really started to home in on the individual position specifics, uh, individual player development. So extras after training, um, trying to create an environment where they wanted to do the work. It weren't just me going, right, go and practice your crossing. So we had to drip that in slowly after training to enable them to understand what it is they needed to learn, how to go and practice it. And then for me and the other coaches that were that were around to be able to to put it on and make it happen. Sure. And obviously now you know you're moving from I guess centre of excellence to more of a bit more of a coach development role and back into the coaching space now. Did you feel like you was a bit more in your element there? Oh, about that. I loved it. I mean Bournemouth's a beautiful place anyway. I loved it. Um it was uh like it was tough because the environment we worked in as the youth team was a bit not great but it was about trying to embrace it. And the fact that I was doing a job, coaching every day, good players, I was like a kid in a candy, do you know what I mean? I, I had everything that I wanted to go and do with it. It was about trying to then um, bring that to life with with the kids. So yeah, I, I loved everything about it. it was, um, like I say, it wasn't the most glamorous um, circumstances and, and settings that we worked in every day, but we made the best of it. No, that's brilliant. And obviously, you know, so from there, you know, you've moved from Bournemouth. Now you eventually, you know, just to kind of paint a picture again, what year are we in now? Right, so we are 2013. So only, it only really, it was that, that ended up being the hardest part of my career so far, really, in terms of I'd been there for eight months. Well, I'd been there for four, four, four and a half months and the management situation changed it was when they brought Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall back from Burnley and we obviously all know the the history with that one but they both came back in and there became a bit of a power struggle at, at the top end of the club and the people that actually took me down there ended up taking my job so okay. I'd moved house I had a young family yeah. uh, I was loving my job loving where I lived and then one day I turned up for work and they told me it was all over um, so I only lasted a year and it, it, it hurt to be honest, it hurt on a financial level, it hurt on the fact that I loved the job, um, and it hurt the fact that it was the first time I'd ever experienced this cutthroat industry that everyone kept talking about, you know, and the fact it was 
it was quite harsh because I hadn't done much wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I, no, uh, so I had to uproot and move back, move back, back this way. Right, and you know, obviously, you know, it's part of that. You know, you talk about something that's a that is a reality of the industry that we do work in. Um, one of the harsh realities, unfortunately. So, I mean, you say it was obviously a difficult time for you. Would you say that was probably the biggest challenge of your coaching journey so far? And it, you know, it, if so, how were you maybe? You know, how did you go about dealing with it? Obviously, it must have been very difficult in the first place. Yeah, trying to get that news, it must have been quite a shocking as well. But then having well, to think, deal with the move back and everything else. You know, like we're so used to picking up a. Well, I say a newspaper, we're not anymore, are we? But we're so used to reading something about someone losing their job in football and that they've all walked away with millions of quid and mm. and they're not really that fast. You know, I mean, it's only your pride that's damaged. Well, I can tell you that for one thing is that 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 wasn't the case for me. You know, that was the biggest thing for me was looking over my shoulder, worrying about, you know, paying my mortgage, having two young kids and a, and a missus down in Bournemouth as much as we loved it. You know, the pain of having to move away from somewhere that you was really enjoying living become yeah. secondary because it was about how am I going to find a job? I remember going, I was working in a school for a little while down there while we were waiting to find out when we could sell our house. And and I remember going in one morning and there was a lady, older lady in the canteen and, and she got talking to me and, and said to me about my what had happened in, at Bournemouth. And she said to me, pretty hard down here, isn't it? She said, because as soon as you look behind you, all there is is sea. And, and I started laughing and she was like, no, no, what I'm trying to say is she went, when you're in London, you look all around you, there's jobs everywhere. She went here, you look behind you, you can't go work behind you there because it's, it's just the sea. So you've got limited opportunities. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, like, damn, I, I didn't think of it like that. Um, so it, 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 it was hard, it hurt. It, you, your pride's damaged. I was bitter for a long, long time. Bitter for a long, long time because I didn't have anything to blame it on. I, yeah. I couldn't go, oh yeah, we lost seven on the spin. So they sacked me. I couldn't say, oh, I didn't do this, because and then they sacked me. I was there, and the chairman chose to bring two people that had just been sacked back into my job, and just just and on that, I was gone. <laughs> obviously, talking about being bitter, and you know, it's totally understandable. But you know, how, how does one how does one get over that? And obviously, how long how long did that pro, what did that process look like? Firstly, how long did it take, and when did you kind of, you know, I guess realize it's one of them things where you know what actually you've done your bit and you, you sometimes there's, there's things in life that you can't control so it's kind of best to kind of in some ways detach yourself from the things that you can't control and just keep your eyes on the things that you can if that makes sense yeah like the, the controlling the controllables in it and i think what what i managed to do was i went through a lot of anxieties i was i was unwell i think for for a while you know in terms of trying to get my head around it. And I touched upon earlier that I was, you know, I'm by, by no means great at all the jobs I've ever been in. I, I left Bournemouth and went to Norwich and I went into a recruitment role. And if I'm honest, I took the role because it was the first job that came my way. And I was very thankful that I'd built up a relationship with the people. I'd worked with them, but just knew them from the youth development circuit, if you like, at Norwich, Greg Brout and Ricky Martin. The, they offered me the opportunity to take on the... Um, recruitment role for the southeast, and I was terrible at it. I was terrible because um, I worried and loved football so much that I would go and watch a game of football and think, "Why is a right back doing that? Why is a striker not hold it up there? Why is he not running in behind?" When actually that weren't my job. My job was to go and watch and find out. Right, the boy Yas uh, uh, left back for 
Colchester, he's good at this. And, and you know, mark him and have an opinion on him and learn his name and, and build up a profile like that. And I didn't. I watched the game too much and worried why they were playing 4-4-2 and why the centre-half weren't stepping in. And, and, and I wasn't great at the job. And it, uh, and it was very statistical because of the way that they were working to fit in with EPPP. And it didn't suit me. And I, and I wasn't great. But like I say, the Bournemouth thing into that role, that I was very angry at the fact that I had a role that I loved and a role that I felt I was doing quite well with right. and it had all been ripped from underneath me. And it, and it into that good two-year period, I think, when I moved back and, and went into that role that I actually turned up one day and, and, and um, someone had moved on from a role in, in Norwich and all the staff went to me, ah, so what is what you've been waiting for, a coaching role? And I was like, no, I'm not here to try and have someone else's job. I, I'm here because this is the job that I'm supposed to be doing. And I was so... I think so cocooned in what had gone on before had, had, had taken over me that yeah. definitely took me a good 18 months, two years to, to, to try to process the frustration. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, that, that I realized in the end, it was about me trying to prove them people wrong. Whatever anyone says, when you go through a bad experience like that, you definitely want to stick two fingers up at the people that stitched you up. Don't care what anyone says. I, I, I won't have it any other way, but at the same time, it's about then trying to process that frustration, that difficulty, and put it into a context that makes you better. Hundred percent. So I guess on that, then you know you've you've gone from playing Orient, gone over to um, Spurs, moved over to Bournemouth, now over at Norwich doing the scouting and recruitment stuff. How did you end up back at Leighton Orient and now in the first team first team environment? Yeah. So I went after the Norwich Norwich experience. I got my redundant, and that was due to relegation and and. Um, I went into running a college program, you know, very modern, you yeah. know, popular thing now, isn't it? I went into running a 16s to 18s college program for Tottenham Foundation through Epping Forest College. And I remember turning up on my first day, and I'll, I'll tell you this, Yas, because this is one of the biggest experiences of my life, let alone yeah. coaching, is I went in and I turned up at Epping Forest on day one. And um, I thought I was, gonna, I was going in to coach a load of kids from the only way is Essex. I thought it's in Chigwell. Yeah. Um, it's going to be like a stroll in the park. And when I turned up on my first day, when I say it was like Coach Carter, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I turned up and it was full of all the kids that hadn't got into any other college in the area. Right. 35 kids on the programme and it was carnage. There was fights every day. There was people not turning up. We had two teams entering in, into a league. We couldn't put one out on the pitch. It was... So such a negative environment. It was incredible. <laughs> and and exactly anyone that's run those programs will be able to familiarize. But we had honestly, we had kids pulling out knives, we had kids turning up that weren't part of the program, wanting to join in. It was <laughs> carnage every day. But I'd done it for 18 months, and by the time I left, we had three teams entered into a league. We had 75 kids on the program. And I remember my last day on the on the program before I left doing an 11 v 11 coaching session on a 4-3-3 is the team that we're going to play the next yeah. day. And I remember think, standing back, we had, I'd been wrestled, wrestling to the floor with kids pulling knives on people. I remember standing back that day I left, nearly in tears, thinking, I cannot believe, one, what I've survived, but two, some of these kids that have come out of it. And, and like yeah. I said, with the Bournemouth programme, I, mean, I still speak... Sorry, mate. Definitely took him out of the former, right? Oh, without doubt. But what it done was, I look, remember looking back and, and 
And, and I still, like I did with the Bournemouth boys now, I still speak to a number of those kids now. Some of them are playing football. Some of them have been in more trouble, but some of them have got jobs, got kids, got, you know, got young families. And where it came from on that first day to where it ended was, yeah. was mind-blowing and it was massive for me. Um, but I was very lucky on that programme was at the time, um, Martin Ling, who, who had been manager at Leighton Orient when I, when I was here, was doing some... Uh, support coaching around some of those colleges and he got involved with mine um, and the Swindon Town job came up he ended up going there as manager actually at the time the assistant manager was a guy that I'd gone to school with and, and coached with uh, at Leighton Orient he was assistant and and, and, that, and they took me in as, as the first team coach so I went from the coach Carter experience to uh, to league one football and the click of your fingers Excellent, and I, and I think you know that probably felt for you like a massive achievement, especially considering what you've been through over the last couple of years. And I probably, I probably can only imagine how low a point you might have been mentally um, to yeah. then, you know, just look at that thing. Well, I've actually come out the other side. I've gone through the whole coach car experience, almost been killed a few <laughs> times, and now I'm here coaching in League One. What you know, that that must have been a fascinating experience for you. Yeah, it was fascinating. It was eye-opening because. Um... You know, the club were struggling at the time. It was down the bottom. And I remember turning up, we won our first game, drew our second game, went away in our third one and got absolutely hammered. And I remember standing there thinking, what have I done? What have I done here? I've come into this environment. I had an easy, like, well, not an easy job, but like, a, you know, an everyday coaching job with, with the boys that I was working with. And now I've walked in here and, it, you know, we've got the stresses and strains of a completely different kind. But, um, you know, another eye-opening opportunity to step into and try to try to embrace and try to make the most of 100 percent. it's interesting obviously because you, you go through these you through these different experiences and like i said more often than not it's it, sometimes you can never be ready for the opportunity because you don't know what the opportunity is actually going to you know consist of and i say the same for people that you know I, i've got i've got two kids and i've got another one in the way and people say oh but would you know you know i'm thinking about having a kid well I have one when I'm ready. When I tick this box, tick. I said, "Listen, mate. No matter what happens, <laughs> you ain't ready. You're gonna be ready. <laughs> That's the reality. Is that you can yeah, have that's right. the fourth one is going to be completely different. So don't worry about getting ready. Just just do what you can. And yeah. Keep, you know, keep your eyes on the ball and everything else to take care of itself. You just got to kind of be in the moment with it and be present with it. So I think you know, I, I, you know, it's a testament to you that you've actually been able to go through something like that. Kind of get a real knockback and then get get yourself back up off it. You know, I, I say this to people all the time that. If you're too busy focusing on what's happened in the past, and you're never really going to see what's going to come around the corner. And it's, honestly, things can change, like you said, in the click of the fingers. Yeah, uh, you know. And I think the other thing to be really careful of, yes, as well, is having too much of an eye on what on what you want to get to at the end, because the opportunity was so limited. The, process, the journey to get to get there is, is yeah. more and more important. And I, I, honestly, I can't I can't emphasize enough. If someone told me a year ago, to, you know, 15th of February last year, that you know, in a year's time, you'll have a podcast with eight, eight, eight or so episodes already released. I'll be like, you lot, you, 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 no chance. And then yeah. you know, one of your episodes is actually going to be with Shaquille O'Neal. I'll be like, I don't know about that one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Like, oh, though, it's, 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 it's literally like, you know, once you get in the swing of things and I think get, getting yourself involved. And I think one of the things that you come back to and something that, you know, come back to your experiences at, at Tottenham, you obviously felt for yourself that actually, yeah, as good as you might have been doing a job in that, in, in that, in that role, in that environment, it wasn't for you. No. Sometimes just because you're good at something doesn't mean you need to pursue that. What you wanted to pursue was the coaching side of it because, you know, presumably you'd have, that's where you're passionate about. Yeah. You want to work with players and, you know, and I think 
it's testament that you were able to kind of take a step back in what a lot of people would have just coasted by in that role and be like, you know, I'm into, I'm at Spurs and I'm in a good environment and, you know, that's one way of doing it. But exactly, each to their own, and I think that's right. You, you know, you can get into the thing of I'm driving into a beautiful multi-million pound training ground every day on a Tottenham track to, which is for some people that's enough, but for me, it just didn't quite float my boat in exactly the same way that. It did when I when I left Leighton Orient. I loved my job. I loved the club. I knew that, you know, I was very comfortable in terms of being in that position, but mm. felt like there needed to be more. And that's why I was started off by saying, sometimes it's not about saying, I want to be this. I talk to yeah. a lot of people now. I have young coaches who are doing a degree in, you know, sports science. And, and I, I, want to be, I want to be in your position one day. Brilliant. I hope you do. I really do. Um, but, like, get there. Go and get there. You know, don't just... Don't just look at the end all the time because because you, you, you the other side of it is I don't think you you can quite enjoy the bit in between. Hundred percent, and I think it's, it is just enjoying that experience along the way and pick, picking up the bits. So kind of I guess bringing to today. Then you know obviously you're now sitting as the first team first team head coach at Leighton Orient. Now club's gone through a lot of ups and downs over the last few years in particular. What what's that been like? And you know, what would you say? Or maybe you know if you had to wrap it up and say some of the biggest differences from experience working in I guess youth football and coach development and now obviously you know the pressures of dealing with the first team environment as if you like you know the scapegoat of everything yeah you, you, there's a scrutiny and I think what I've learned first of all I haven't learned this first I didn't it's not the first thing I learned but I think one of the biggest things I realise now is that when everything goes right everything's wonderful at the club when everything goes wrong it's all your fault and you're useless and I think that's um, that's something that's very difficult to get used to um, and until you're in it, you never really realise how taxing and how straining that can be. Um, I, I said to you right at the beginning, my plan was to never be a manager or a, or a head coach. It was to be the best that I could be. And I came here and it was my club and I came back and the, you know, the club had gone through some real turmoil. And I came in here on the first day. We never even had a bag of footballs. We had nine registered players we're all under the age of 21 and we had to build a whole new squad. We had no staff. Um, and I'm now sitting here as head coach four years later, working with the director of football and, and the, the good people at the club, the board, where we've where we've built it up from, from nothing and, and back into a comfortable position in League Two. Um, I think the things that I learn, I think this is probably a collective experience of my time as an assistant manager, which a, a job that I loved, worked with some really good managers so far. I've worked with one or two that, that are not quite as good, but that hasn't gone to plan and that, that that's life. But I think you take from every experience possible. But the massive thing that I learned is, is it's always about the type of person and the type of character that you are. You're going to come to work every day. No matter what way you embrace it, you are going to upset someone. Because my job is to pick 11 players on a Saturday, mm. then another seven to sit on the bench. And then if my whole squad's fit, another five or six that are not even going to get changed. So every day that I come into the environment, whether I pick the team, whether I pick the subs, whether I, you know, I, I show the boys exactly what I want from the team tactically at the weekend, I'm going to upset everyone every day. So it is about trying to come in and be the best person you can and treat people properly. And I think, like I say, they're not always going to be happy. You are always going to upset someone. But it is about trying to treat people the best way that you possibly can. And then I think you've got, you've got a chance. The job isn't all about being a good coach. I think that's that's something that in all the jobs that I've ever had, it's not that actually whether or not I can put a cone over there and a bib on that one isn't the be all and end all. It's about 
your interaction it's about your relationships that you that you build with people it's about being flexible another word that i've already used on here already about the flexibility to say well my ideal is to play 442 but i haven't got the players to play that so i'm going to play 352 you know just fucking two formation out there and then when you lose a player whether you sell a player whether a player gets injured you're flexible enough to be able to go and deliver your message and get something across that sometimes you don't necessarily believe in. I think that's the a massive thing for me is I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not on social media in, in terms of interaction of what people really think of me, but whenever someone throws something or a moan or groan, say again, mate. It's all good stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll bet. Um, but I think the thing for me is, is when, if we play a certain formation at the weekend and we don't win, obviously then I got it wrong. Uh, that's the be all and end of what people think. Whereas sometimes I, I have to be the one to sit back and say, okay, we drew that one, mm. but wasn't it wasn't that good. And, that, and they they criticise you for what you did at that game at that weekend, but it might not necessarily be what you want, what you believe in as a philosophy. It's, some, it's, it's being able to get the best out of the players yeah. and the environment that you're working in. 100%. And I think you're just on that. You talked there about, you know, I guess if you're like the, the internet pundits, the critics... Yeah. And one of the key things you talk there about, you know, if, if something doesn't go quite right, ultimately you've got it wrong. I, I'm not sure if that's always the case. I think sometimes you could have got it right, but maybe the people involved in the process, they they got it wrong. Yeah. You, know, you might have had a player that you, you've, you've got a, a great strategy or a way, of, a way of doing something and they've not fully bought into it. Therefore, yeah, you can take some blame and say, well, you could have got them to buy into it a little bit more, maybe try to adapt your ways of doing it. But it, I think it's too, it's too easy. And, you know, it, yeah, I also think it's the way that the world that we live in. It's the way we, the world we live in yeah. as well. I think the other thing is as well, you're, you're working with human beings. So when you say it's about the relationships that you build or not, you get some wrong, yeah. all out with some people. I, I've been here as assistant manager for a certain period of time before I became the head coach. So these players that have been here now for four years, the same amount of time that I've been in. And as the assistant, I had a very, very close relationship with them. Now, I'm the manager and I don't pick them. And they're looking at me going, hang on a minute. You, you know, you were yeah. fully behind me when you were an assistant. So you, you make or break some of those relationships and you are dealing with humans. So sometimes your strategy might be right, but someone slips over or loses his man at a corner or someone does something out of the ordinary and smashes the ball in the top corner for the good or the bad. Yeah. You win or you lose. The outcome of that game is all based around that one moment. Whereas it's my job to remove that sometimes yeah. and be able to. I think to something that you said there was, you know, something that was key and right at the top of that was when it's all going well, it's all going well. But when it's all going wrong, it's your fault. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing you think kind of, you know, I guess it just really sums the whole experience up to an extent. I guess, you know, to kind of, it's a, off the back of that, then, you know, knowing, knowing what you know now, and you're 39, still relatively young as a football league manager in particular. But, um, for a coach of that age to have the amount of experience, a number of years under your belt that you have got, you know, you're close to almost a quarter century in the game now as a coach. What would you say is, you know, if I gave you the opportunity to go and speak to yourself back when you started at YTS and looking at, you know, specialising a bit more in the coaching side of the game, knowing what you know now and all the experience you have had, and I'm sure there's probably some massive messages that you'd want to kind of lend back to yourself. What would be one of the biggest ones? Uh, build relationships would be would be the best the first one for me with your players 
with the people that are surrounding it. You know, with my, me, my players at the beginning were five-year-olds at an after-school club. But mum and dad come and pick them up. And it was my job to embrace mum and dad. Oh, little Johnny was fantastic today. And guess what? They come back the week later. So my boss is happy because they're paying £1.50 the week later. But actually, the main bit is my relationship with that kid and that parent. Yeah. And that goes the same way as it does now with my group of staff that are sitting in, in the office doing whatever it is that they're doing, probably having the afternoon off. But it's, 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 it's about building those relationships. And I think the, the biggest one for me is about enjoying the access to as many different experiences as you possibly can. Don't cocoon yourself on the fact that I'm going to be an under-18s coach at Man United. I'm going to manage in the Champions League. Fantastic if that ends up being the, the yeah. outcome. Yeah. But enjoy the, the ride. Enjoy the experiences. Go and crave all the different experiences because they're the ones. They're the ones that really, I said it to you there, for all the fantastic things that I've experienced since I've been working in the professional game, all the fantastic experiences I had as an academy coach coming through, one of the biggest ones that sticks out for me forever will always be working with, with my group of players at, at Epping Forest College because it was so unique. And I think mm. if, you, if you're not careful... You focus so much on where you want to get to that you miss the bits in between. And they are, whatever way you say it, however tough they can be at certain times, they're experiences that you can look back on and cherish with, with incredible memories if, if you're willing to, to embrace them in that way. 100%. So I guess, you know, you know, speaking about all of those memories and all those experiences you have had, you're now first team manager at Leighton Orient. And obviously, I wish you all the successes with that, but where does Ross Hamilton go next? I think the, the bit that I've continuously uh, stressed, and it is a lot of stress, so the things that I continuously stress to my family, my mum and dad, my brothers, my wife and my kids, is about enjoying, enjoying the experience. You know, it's an experience that I never thought I'd get. It's an opportunity that I never planned on trying to achieve. So now, one minute, I want to try and make sure that I last as, as long as I poss possibly can. And that's at Leighton Orient and, and beyond, you know, whether that's me here for the next 10 years or 10 years in, in football management, then that's, that's, that's where I want to strive to get to. But I think what can sometimes happen for someone like me getting this opportunity is you worry too much about what's going to happen in the future and not about what happens now. And I think if you can try and take care of it now, it, listen, it might well go wrong. The statistics, I think, lend itself to saying that more go wrong than go right. But if you can try to enjoy it while you're doing it, and give yourself the opportunity to look after the here and now, do the here and now bit well. I think the future looks after itself and the opportunities come your way. If you're doing the here and now well enough, in the future people will either come calling or, or, or further down the line, the opportunities will continue to be available. Hmm. And you kind of touched on, you know, my, my next question there really, it's kind of build on that, you know, it's a bit of advice for some people to kind of, I guess, think about and ponder over in terms of their own journeys and you know if you had to kind of add another gold nugget to I guess the already many that you've put put forward in this in this experience of an interview what would that be to aspiring coaches or just in general um both really I mean because you know I think the whole the premise of the podcast whilst we obviously you know speaking within the context of football space really so just about I guess inspiring everyone and you know taking lessons and lessons learned insights and i guess if you like keys to some successes that people have had um just throughout their lives and you know, even even coming back to the whole experience that you had with bournemouth and having to overcome that challenge and deal with some of the harsh realities of the industry 
it, that in itself and you know i'm sure people can look at that and maybe take something away from that in that without doubt and i think it's about i think it all stems from being passionate about about your 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 job about what you want to do about what you love about being in it you know <laughs> your drive might be completely different to mine albeit we both want to be successful in in and around football in some way shape or form your drive will be completely different but I think it's about being passionate about that and then like you say there about learning from the disappointments you know there's so much made of now you don't reach anything without setbacks you learn more from defeat than you do winning all the time I think those those circumstances are spot on when you go through the tough times you hear a lot of everything happens for a reason um, look to the future. Don't look back. All the all the cliches that people are saying to try and make you feel better. By the way, they're doing it, doing it for the right reasons. But I think it's about um, processing, trying to process those setbacks and disappointing moments the best way that you possibly can, and 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 look at what's important to you and what's going to be important to you and what's going to make you 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 and good in the way that you work and not let the the underhandedness or the uh, ill feeling towards a certain environment, you know, because if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're a, you know, a manager and you lose five games on the spin and you get to set, you'll always have something to, to blame it on. Um, but I think it's about trying to process that, but process it in terms of how you, you can impact it and you can, you can, you can infect, infect, affect the situation that, that you, that you find yourself in. I think it's about, trying to em embrace that uh, as, as tough as it can be whilst you're whilst you're living through it and again that isn't anything related to football I think all these things that you and I have discussed here not that I've had too many jobs outside the football industry but I think all of them can be related to the wider world and not just what goes on from, from what I think that that's, it's a great point that it is, it is you know, something that you another word that you use right at the top of this is a lot of the things are transferable yeah. You know, it is, and, and that's why, you know, from even the journey of this podcast, I've kind of moved from the football space, which, which is obviously the industry that me and you work in, but started branching out, you know, people from different environments, different different industries, not just the sports-related ones, but even the multiple disciplines beyond, beyond it. So, you know, the psychologist, you know, the... And that's so important, yes, and it, in terms of getting those inputs from different people to try to create this broader knowledge of what people think and how they look at things. I... I should have said it earlier, but I've only told this story once. But when I got the sack from Swindon, um, I came back. I'd been living away from my family for, you know, 18 months, really, like a couple of days at home a week. And I came back and I said to my missus, I ain't doing this no more. I yeah. can't get in the sack. I can't. So I'm still going to coach. I, I, you know, I've set up my own little soccer school that I still do now. I coached a couple of teams in the evening, which I still do now. Not now because lockdown, but... I still coach some grassroots teams because I love coaching, still do it. But at the time I said to her, do you know what? I'm going to go and say it else. And I had an interview as an, as an estate agent. And I remember sitting down with the guy, the guy who was the owner of the estate agents and him going to me, um, how do you think you'll be all right dealing with the pressure of what goes on here? And I remember <laughs> saying, yeah, that'd be fine. But because I was felt comfortable to go in and transfer the things that we've been talking about, about yeah. the relationships with people. We've talking to, you know, a guy with a couple of million quid to spend on a property and a guy that wants to renovate, you know, you know, a little bed sit. Like I felt comfortable that I would be able to go and engage in those conversations and sell someone an house if I needed to. 
And like, it's not me giving it the big and then saying, I can go and do anything. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that the, the if you're going to go into something that's related to people or leadership or, you know, or dealing with, with, with human beings, if you've got those traits and those beliefs and those, those, those things that I would class as strengths, I think you can, you can definitely transfer them over. Fortunately, from my perspective, Leighton Orient got taken over and I got a phone call about three days before I was about to take the job. But um, I think, like I said, it just shows you that if you believe in yourself and you've got those strengths, that, that you can tra transfer them across to, to, to other walks of life. Definitely. And I guess you know, from a final note, as we look to kind of wrap up then, Ross, you know, again, still relatively young in such a, in such a, a long career already. Um, you know, you spent more than half your life coaching now, really. But um, feels like it, moment, mate. <laughs> um, so you know what? I guess not to wish your time away, but when you do kind of eventually, you know, hang your boots up from a coaching perspective, shall we say, uh, or just even just generally, you know, when you've come into contact with someone and, and you've and you've had an experience with them, or you've built a relationship and that relationship doesn't exist anymore, whether it be because you moved on or they've moved on or whatnot, what's the last legacy that you want to kind of have? And you know. I kind of lend that to the fact that you're not, you know, just by having this conversation, you kind of made yourself part of the coaches network as well. So, you know, what is that kind of message or that legacy that you want to leave behind for those that come across your work? I would love people to say he's a good guy. I'd love people to say that, 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 that uh, and, and that he wanted to help me. I think that I want to help myself because I want to be successful and I want my team to win every week and to win leagues and, you know, end up as a, as a, as a top-class manager somewhere along the line. But I would love to think that at the end of it all, whether I have been successful or whether this is my only experience of it and I, you know, go on to do something else that people look back and say, yeah, he was all right. And, and he helped me. He, he wanted to make me better. And I think that's the, the big thing for me now as I listen to so many different podcasts and different approaches on, you know, what high performance and what um, sustainability at the very top is. And I, and I agree that it is about sacrifice. It's about, you know, uh, you know being, being strong towards people, driving people on. But I'd like to think that people just think you're, you know, I'd love, like people to look back on, in time and relationships that I continue to have with people that I've worked with from, you know, all variation of ages, from different walks of life, from different areas, that they think, yeah, he was a good bloke and, and he made me better. Fantastic. So, you know, Rush, kind of final note, you know, he's been a, thoroughly enjoyable conversation for you and hopefully it has been for you and I haven't, I haven't called you very much. much. Um, you know, if there was any listeners or viewers out there that wanted to kind of learn a bit more about your journey and things that you've been through or even just to discuss some in a bit more detail some of the things that we've covered in this conversation um, I know that you said you're not much of an interactive person on there but is there any way they can get in touch with you possibly on social media or anything like that? To be honest, yes, the two people I think you and I came into contact on, on LinkedIn I, I'm I'm very comfortable on that because I think it's a platform that is that what it says on the tin. It's a professional platform uh, for, for professionals, so I'm 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 accessible on there. I think that just comes under my name. That that shows you my naivety towards uh, towards social media. I am on Instagram. It's private, but um, I am on uh, at embers81, which is e m b e r s 81. It's a private account, but if people ever want to send me anything on um on coaching or any, you know, anything anything that's not them moaning about the result at the weekend um i'm more than happy to interact with uh, with anybody so like i say I'm, I'm i'm quite closed off um but if people get want to get in contact with me on on those i i am very interactive with people that 
um, that are keen to to talk about football. I, I could do all this all again, all over again, like we have done this afternoon, and I'd never get bored. So, more than happy for people to make contact, and I'll um, I'm, I'm more than happy to lend a hand wherever I can. Excellent. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.